APU. American Public University is proud to present Leading Forward. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us again for a Leading Forward podcast session. Today, we have Andy Williamson. He is the CEO of ONLC Training Centers, which is located in Wilmington, Delaware. I have a special relationship with Andy. I credit him for a lot of the things that I have learned in terms of how to transform and change an organization as it relates to the people, as well as the organizational structure. And today we want him to discuss some of the things that have made his company successful. Some of his history or the organization's history is it was one of the first IT training companies teaching personal computer software. It was founded in 1983, nearly 38 years ago. There are two business partners, Jim Pallack. He has an MBA from Wharton. Um, Mr. Williamson, has, he's a business undergraduate from the University of Delaware. The two of them met at DuPont where both of them were programmers. Early 80s was the dawn of the PC industry. How did they get started? Andy, can you share with us how you got into the training business? Yes, thanks, Marie. It all started when I was uh, working at DuPont and the first IBM PCs uh, started to come available. I would uh, meet my uh, future business partner, Jim Pallack, and we would go to the DuPont library to find magazines on uh, personal computers. It was, uh, they were so hard to find, you couldn't just go to a bookstore. It had to be this research library at the DuPont company. And uh, from there, we realized that the PC industry was going to be big and we decided to leave our jobs. And we started selling uh, personal computers, writing software and doing some training. I actually uh, taught Uh, courses on VisiCalc at the University of Delaware in the evening. And we would buy and sell uh, K-Pro computers. They were some of the first luggable computers. Uh, You may have heard of the Osborne computer. These computers were the size of a sewing machine and weighed about 30 pounds or so. And that, that was the first portable computer. But we would buy and sell those and do training and systems development. And Soon we realized that uh, so many people needed to learn about personal computers that we could start a business where we would have a classroom and, and an instructor standing in front of the class and have groups of 12 people at a time come through and they would learn how to move from their dedicated word processors to PC-based word processing learn things about how to copy files and spreadsheets, uh, creating spreadsheets. It was a, it was a heady time with a lot of business because no one had ever used a PC before. So we had lots of business in just a small geography where we would train in downtown Wilmington, Delaware, and eventually opened up in uh, center city, Philadelphia. And so we did everything from the ground up. We actually built the computers, we wrote the manuals and we trained the instructors on how to teach people how to use computers. And since that time, the business matured through the first 20 years. We went through multiple business cycles, ups and downs in the economy. 
In 2005, we actually started to experiment with remote training where we could have an instructor in one location and have people in training rooms in multiple cities. So it was the first time anyone uh, had uh, done that. We were one of the leaders in the industry with that. And at the time we had offices in Philadelphia, some in New Jersey, and even throughout uh, New England. And so we became a moderately successful regional training company at that time with a half a dozen or so locations doing stand-up instructor-led training with a classroom, as well as this remote classroom instruction. That sounds exciting. And it seems like you had an idea in the beginning. And as time went by, you just grew it, went into diversified what you were doing um, based on what was happening in the market. And that's one of the points that we want to get out to a lot of leaders, especially as we go through this um, new norm post-pandemic. What do you need to do in order to transform your company to another level? And the example that you just provided shows how your particular company did that. Now, when did you really see your business start to take off? Well, ironically, it happened during the Great Recession of 2008. The uh, 20 years prior to that was almost like uh, just preparing us for what was about to happen. And in 2008, we made a major pivot. Let me back up and describe a little bit about the two principals, uh, Jim Palak and myself. So we're both very different, but Jim is someone who's very evidence-based when he makes a decision and he's very fiscally conservative and he's good at organizing systems once we get a method of uh, doing business to build systems around that internally. And my role is different in that I, I come up with new ideas and decide which locations, adding locations we, where we should go, come up with new course content and new teaching modalities. And I'm more of a risk taker. As a result, I create a lot of chaos within the organization. So between the two of us, it's really a good balance where someone's kind of got the reins in Jim's role and my role where I try to push us into new areas. And over the years, I made a promise to myself because we used to butt heads originally trying to decide what to do, that uh, I said, if I can convince Jim that it's a good idea and we should do it, then we go ahead and move forward. If not, if he doesn't agree and I can't convince him with uh, evidence, then I just back down. And that's worked since then. So. What happened here is that we could see the economy sliding out from under us uh, during the recession. And we had been through other downturns and realized that if we did absolutely nothing, we would just be in big trouble if we just stayed as a regional uh, company. So we did have some experience with the remote classroom instruction and we decided to make a big push, an initiative that would open up training locations around the country using executive suites. And executive suite companies are uh, companies that will buy or lease a whole floor in a commercial office building. And then they'll rent out one or two offices at a time, and they will have a receptionist there and maybe tech support. And so we leveraged that availability of executive suites to just have little training rooms 
around the country. And so from the period of 2008 to 2013, we opened over 300 locations from coast to coast. Every month, it was another dozen locations or so. So, uh, and we never looked back, we kept doing that. And because people like to buy from local companies, we had now a local presence everywhere. And what was important too, is that we realized from our 20 years of starting a business, how important classroom training is, and that the classroom is actually one component of the learning process to be able to go to a quiet, interruption-free location and have all the equipment you need there, that that was important, an important part of the what we called virtual training in a classroom. So it's a little bit of an oxymoron in that it's virtual, but we do provide the room. It's just that the instructor is not there. So from 2013 then to until just recently, we created a $20 million training organization. And we're one of the largest IT training companies that you never heard of because we're very low key and we sell directly to businesses. So the consumers may, may not have heard about us as, as much, but we've been recognized as a top 20 IT training company worldwide uh, for the past eight years in a row. Congratulations on that. That is an achievement that is worthy to be noted. And one of the things that you shared with us was about having that local presence. Speaking to that, can you provide us a little bit more background on your service and tell us how it works when someone goes to class? Oh, yeah, that's that's a good question. So say next week, if we had a schedule uh, and you wanted to take an Excel class, there might be three or four classes that you could take next week. And you, you just have to pick what location you want to be in and register for a class at that location. And then when you're sitting there taking the class, there might be five or six other people in the class with you, and they're sitting in training rooms in five or six other cities. And the instructor is at home teaching the class remotely. So everyone's in their own individual area, and that's how you, uh, you can take the class. And it's just like we're talking now. Students can ask questions. Uh, you can see what the instructor's doing. The instructor can see what you're doing. And in fact, the instructor can take over your screen and provide assistance and, and show you how to do something. So it's almost like being in a face-to-face -face class. Okay. That sounds like that's a, a good opportunity for the students to um, collaborate as well, knowing that other people are there in the classroom um, with them. Yeah. So that, that worked great until earlier this year when the pandemic hit. And that changed our business uh, dramatically. In the period from the beginning of March to the end of March, we experienced a 70% reduction in training revenue. And so although we weren't as bad as restaurants and gyms that had to close down 100%, we also weren't uh, seeing an increase in demand like the Walmarts and the Amazons where they benefited from the uh, issues surrounding the pandemic. We were somewhere in the middle. And in some ways, we're uh, similar to the airline industry. So they were still doing flights, but they had fewer people. They had to modify their schedule. And it's similar to that in, in many ways, in that if we run a class and there's seven empty seats, that's revenue that we can't 
get back just like uh, an airline would be the same situation an airline would be in but you know so we we were through a lot of changes in the business cycles over the year but this was really a sort of a black swan event where no one expected it and no one had expected it to be this uh deep of a downturn on the economy so we had to step back and and look uh what was happening and we had three uh, sets of stakeholders in the company that we had to address the first were the stockholders and that was easy to address because we're just a small business with uh me and and jim and we don't have uh, quarterly performance goals per se we just needed to stay in business we didn't have to hit specific numbers and then we have the customers that we had to keep meeting their needs as well as the employees and the employees are really two different categories they're instructors and customer service people so we had to come up with a strategy of sustaining the business and addressing the needs of the stakeholders being the customers and the employees for the most part now i will say that i believe that that is one of the most important lessons that i have learned from you and jim and it's your definition of stakeholders and how you treat um, all the different groups so we have the pandemic everyone else is a little bit shaken almost frozen in fear as to what to do next, especially as it relates to leadership and infrastructure of an organization. I personally knew you were going to pull through. You have so many ideas, had no doubt about it. But can you share with us, what did you do? What changes did you make to stay in business and to be responsible to your group of stakeholders? Yes. uh, The first thing we did is not directly related to... uh, any specific group, but just we needed to tune the infrastructure. People had always uh, always had the ability to work from home, but now almost everyone was working from home all the time. We left a core group of uh, four or five people that would stay in the headquarters and that could physically do things like set up computers and deal with issues uh, around the headquarters. But everyone else would work from home and they had a voice over IP phone they had remote desktops and uh, with the pandemic we gave everyone second monitors so they could have two screens to monitor different things and we made a major push to implement microsoft teams we had talked about it for years but kept putting it off and teams was a great help for making the remote work situation more closely model what it felt like to be at work where you could just drop in on someone or chat with someone or add people to a conversation. Uh, So Teams was a big help. And the other thing that we did, uh, and this was just recently, we figured out how to get the receptionist to work from home so that we would have someone who could personally answer the phones and keep a higher level of customer uh, service for inbound callers rather than put them into a automated attendant. So those were a couple infrastructure things. But regarding uh, our customers, I I could tell you a little bit about what we did, how we changed the business model to uh, still meet the needs of the customers in a safe way. Uh, The first thing we did is we reduced the schedule of classes. So whereas we might have had a class like an Excel intro run or three or four times a week, 
we switched it to once per week. And this was important so we didn't get one person scheduled in each event and then have to cancel them all. And if you think about the airline industry, they had to do something similar. They reduced the number of flights so that they would get a runnable number of people in each flight. And then to make it a safe environment, we guaranteed that only one person would be in the in a training room at a time. Typically, if we had a site, a, a classroom in downtown Chicago, and we had two people from different companies sign up for exactly the same class, they could sit side by side in a small training room that could hold two or three people. But now, because of the uh, the virus and the uh, the risks there, we guaranteed that we would have only one person in a classroom. So if we had two people sign up for this very same event, in the same city, we'd put the second person in another room. And going back to the airline analogy, they did something similar where they guaranteed that the middle seats for a while, the middle seats would be empty. Uh, so that was something similar that we did. Another thing that we did was we reduced, removed the scheduling fee. So that would give people more flexibility again with with the virus and changing childcare conditions the schools are open for in-person training then the next day everyone has to be virtual and uh, the world was changing so much on a week-to-week basis no one could guarantee what their schedule was going to be three weeks from now we allowed people to reschedule without uh, incur- incurring a fee. And again, this is similar to the airlines where they would allow people to reschedule their flights with no additional fee. And another thing that we did is we decided that we would run classes that we would traditionally cancel because they were low enrollments. Let's say we had two or three people in a class. In the past, we might say, oh, well, maybe we'll cancel Wednesday's class and you can just take it next Monday when it runs again. And uh, now we decided to run the classes with the low enrollments and this is important from the client's perspective because there might be a business need for the training and the timing of the class might be important they they might not want to take it a month from now they they need it this month so and i think airlines may have done a similar thing as well where they would run flights with a dozen or so people in the class even the, or in the, in the uh plane even though uh, it wasn't normally full. They might lose money on a run, and but they would keep the planes running for the customers. And the final, finally, the thing that we did is we made it clear that our classes were virtual. And although we used to promote that the primary way to take a class would be to come to our facility, you could always take a class from your home or office. And uh, we created additional videos to explain how people could take the class from home and what equipment they would need and even how they could do it with a single monitor or a laptop and and a monitor uh, so they could see the instructor as well as do their hands-on training. It is time for a break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. At American Public University, we believe quality education must be more affordable. That's why as a leader in online higher education, we focus on minimizing costs and maximizing return on learner investment. And we believe higher education must be more accessible. So our online programs start every month. American Public University, within reach, without limits. 
Learn more at AmericanPublicU.com. Welcome back. I am speaking today with Andy Williamson, CEO of ONLC Training Centers. Now, you have talked about something that I think it's important to note. Um, Probably for the last five minutes or so, you have shared how your organization has adapted, but also looked very carefully and thoroughly about how your changes would affect your customers. Um, I hear you bring up the airline um, industry. Was that your focal point in determining what would work best for your company? No, not not really. The more I thought about it, though, it was a very similar uh, situation, uh, like hotel rooms or seats on a plane, where once the once the event is gone, you know you can't recover the revenue fr- from that. So it just happened to be that it was uh, similar. I know uh, hotels have done the same thing where there's limited touch. They won't have someone come in your room, waive cancellation fees and and things like that. So I think everyone's trying to find their own path uh, within their business model of where they can make the customer feel safe and, and accommodated. Good. That's an excellent point because so many times in the past, we have attempted a one-size-fits-all and with best practices. And that's, you have basically shared what has worked for your organization. And I think that's going to make sense for a lot of organizations. You looked at some other industries to see what they were doing, but in the end, you did what was best for you. Now on the customer service um, with the employees, what did you do in that area? Yeah, that was, that was challenging as well, because we did not want to lay anyone off. And yet we had a 70% reduction in, fo- in volume. And so there were two categories of things that special projects that people could work on that would help the health of the organization. Uh, the first category of project is, it, can we get our customer service staff involved in things that help us conserve cash and reduce our expenses? And secondly, what can they do to help increase sales and be more responsive to customers? So on the first side, uh, related to conserving cash, our biggest monthly expense was our rent. Remember, uh, I may have mentioned that we had over uh, we had about 350 offices around the country. And although they were small offices, it adds up to a lot each month. And uh, those offices are on short-term leases, and most of them expired in the end of 2020. And so we got a team of people together and contacted over 200 vendors that provided those 350 offices. And we made sure that all of our leases were at a minimum set to month to month. We shut down some low-performing operations that maybe should have been shut down before then. And then we renegotiated uh, rates to get some concessions from the landlords. We also looked at things like geography. We did this uh, recently where we looked in at uh, Minneapolis, where we had an office downtown, and then we had maybe five offices surrounding the downtown area. So we kept a key regional location north, a key location south, and one east of the city, and paused uh, the other locations. 
So it didn't provide the customer with as much choice as they used to have, but it helped keep us in business by significantly lowering our monthly expenses. And then on the other side, getting more customers or getting more higher sales, uh, we initiated outbound uh, calling campaigns. And this is interesting. Most people would think that wouldn't uh, be a big leap to do that. But over the years, we've prided ourselves in being more of an inbound customer service related company. I remember going to trade shows and they would say, what separates you from your competition? I said, well, we we guarantee that we'll never call you after you take a class with us. And uh, that's sort of an inside industry joke because some of our competitors would call them almost on a weekly basis and we we would be hands off and, and never call them at all. And figuring that when they need training, they would call us. So, but we had to change that a little bit recently to make sure that everyone, all the customer salespeople were productive. And we had to create systems for providing them names for outbound calling, who should they call, as well as scripts and different offers for customers. So we got more value from our customer service reps that way. Well, I definitely liked hearing a story about your slogan. I've noticed that a lot of companies struggle with when asked that question and make it like an elevator pitch of explaining what separates you from all of your competitors. And I'm not sure why that is a struggle for some. Now, you are very creative. What goes through your mind when you are asked by potential clients about what makes you different um, besides that specific slogan? What's the rest of the sales pitch? Really, our unique selling proposition uh, that was important for a lot of people was the fact that we provided the classroom with the class, with the virtual training. And uh, before the pandemic, when customers would buy training from us on a weekly basis, they knew that they could take the class from their home or office or from one of our facilities. And Marie uh, was interesting, over the course of a year, 85% of the people would take the training from our nearby training rooms. So that was that was unique and, and no one else offered that. And yeah, so the classroom was very important. Now things may have accelerated uh, with, uh, they say that about the pandemic is that it, accel- it will accelerate uh, trends that were going on anyway. So with more people working from home and setting up a home office, long-term, more people might feel comfortable taking a class from their home. So we'll see uh, what happens after people get nine or 12 months of experience working from home uh, when they decide they need more training, whether or not they'll come back at that same 85% rate and prefer our training facilities or, or take the classes from home. Okay, thank you, Andy. You have shared your ideas and experiences with the customer service personnel, but what about the instructors, those teaching the classes to your clients? Yes, that's that's the last uh, group uh, that we had to uh, make adjustments for. At one point, I think it was around 2000, we had over 70 instructors and about 30 customer service people. And since that time, uh, we realized we could use contractor instructors and we wouldn't 
have to be concerned with what our instructors were doing on days that they weren't training. That was always a big problem. So from 2000 to the year 2020, we changed it so that we only have three or four full-time instructors and maybe 10 favored contractors that we work directly with. And then we have a larger list of instructors who are contractors who work with us through a broker. And those folks are traditionally a little bit more expensive because they are coming through uh, the broker. So within the instructor group, we had three kinds of instructors, the W-2 instructors, the favored contractors, and the brokered instructors. So first we felt like we had the most uh, responsibility toward our W-2 and favored instructors. And so we started by cross-training them so that they would have more opportunities to teach given the schedule. And we also had some uh, new projects that we worked on. Uh, we sell on-demand training, which is recorded training that people can take at any time. And so we invested in some more uh, recordings there. So we have a broader list of topics as well as one new area, which was G Suite, it used to be called G Suite, and now it's Google Workspace for companies that were going to a lower cost alternative to Microsoft. We created courseware and recordings for those topics. Then the other thing that we did to help reduce cost is we got the contractors to reduce the rates for us when they were teaching a small class of two or three people. So this way we could, we could teach those smaller classes and they would make a little bit of money, we would make some money, and the customers would be able to get their classes that they needed. So th those are some things we did with the instructors as well. Well, on this section, I think it, it really should be noted, you mentioned it earlier, the fact that both you and Jim, one of your core values has been your employees. It's not just all business, it's a combination of the two. And I remember being in one of your employee meetings and you stating, we just want to have fun. And I think that was the motto um, for all of us. And that's why we gave 100% because we knew the two of you were actually looking out for us as well. And if anything else, that, that's a recipe for how do you get your employees to be loyal? Um, you have to take care of them and they will take care of you. You've told us the story of how you started and what happened when the pandemic hit and how you responded to that. So would you care to share with, what do you see in the near future for ONLC training centers? To comment on something that you said about uh, related to the employees and uh, sharing the state of the business, we actually did for, oh, I think it's been at least 25 years now, we've been doing something called the great game of business where every month, uh, we share the financial state of the company with the employees. And so when we've gone through other downturns in the business cycle, everyone could see it. Uh, so far this year, we get to see how much money we're losing each month and uh, what our plans are for turning the corner. And so that also gets everyone invested and uh, there's no, there's kind of complete disclosure in terms of what the finances are. So it, it keeps everyone on the same page and working in the same direction. As a result of the things that we've done so far, uh, we've been able to what they call variableize our expenses 
because of the instructors uh, reducing their costs for low enrollment classes. And the biggest thing being the rent expense. So starting in 2021, our rent expense will be almost half of the cost that it was in the beginning of 2020. And so that will help us. We did get a substantial PPP loan from the government. And because we have not laid anyone off, we'll be able to have that loan forgiven. And in addition to that, we have a lot of cash on hand as a result of my uh, business partner, Jim Palak's his uh, business philosophy over the years, whenever we made a little bit of money, or even if we made a lot of money in a year, instead of uh, declaring a huge dividend, we would squirrel a lot of that money away, whether it was just $10,000 or hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years. And in the past 15 years, uh, we've saved a, a significant war chest to be able to help us. I personally never thought we'd be in a business situation where things changed so dramatically in such a short period of time. And some people will term that as a black swan event that you, you didn't expect, and it was very severe. But between the PPP loan and our significant cash in the bank, that will, will help us. I was talking to my son, Gary, a few months ago, who works for Dell and is getting his MBA at night. And uh, we were talking about companies like Apple and Microsoft. If they were to hit a downturn, uh, how would they be able to weather it? And we looked, uh, we looked it up and Apple has $60 billion in sales each year and they have almost $200 billion in cash on hand. And Microsoft is not as, in as good of a uh, situation. They have $126 billion in sales and they only have $138 billion in cash. So when the pandemic uh, hit, people would say, and I think you even echoed this earlier, you said, well, you've been in business a long time. You guys are smart. You'll figure it out. And that may be true, but to be able to figure it out and pivot, you need time. And we've taken some significant uh, actions lately, but to be able to buy that time, you need cash to be able to weather short-term downfalls that may happen over a course of a year or, or 24 months. So I'm not sure exactly where we'll land, how much training will be done in training rooms or done online in the future. That, that'll be up to the customers to decide, but I'm sure we'll be playing a significant role in the IT training space for years to come. And thanks to Jim's foresight, we have the uh, cash to be able to stay in there and get it get the job done. Great. You have said a number of things and some of the points that I wanted to bring back up. I think you and Jim have the perfect partnership. You balance each other. And just by you telling your story, you have shown over the years how your two different styles have helped anchor the organization. And it's interesting to have that type of structure because I think that's what a lot of the larger businesses miss out on, the diversity of thought between two of the leaders, and then also the trust that has been built over time. And it's not like either one of you have your own career path plan and working individually, you're working in harmony together. 
I'm putting my money on you. I think ONLC Training Centers is going to come out. I'm very interested in seeing where you come out at. I think it's going to be another transformation, like the one that you have shared from the time that I worked with you to um, the pandemic time. And even the time before that, how you decided to, um, I think you used to refer to it as last man standing. You want to talk about that? <laughs> that might happen here with, uh, it'll be interesting to see the, uh, there'll be a certain demand for IT training over the next year, but we always talk about the demand facing the firm. If there are fewer players in the market, even if the overall demand goes down, the demand facing our firm might might go up if there are fewer uh, competitors. So we'll be around. I don't know about who else will be uh, standing alongside of us. Okay. I've used that expression over the years. You have shared so much information, a lot of how to, um, and then things what not to do and how to just analyze things um, about your personal situation in your organization. Are there any other things, little tidbits you would like to share? Well, the other thing that helps is, uh, what did I say? We've been in business for almost 38 years. Many of the People who are part of our core group who work in the headquarters have been working with each other for 20, 25, 30, and, and over 30 years, the core group. it's So that helps a lot and that we can more easily pivot. Everyone knows their jobs. Everyone knows multiple jobs. And uh, they've been with the business a long time. And, and that's like uh, a little bit of a secret weapon that we have. Uh, compared to some of our larger competitors, we've we've all worked together for a long time. Andy, I think you've shared a lot from your experience with your company. I think you have also shared information that will be of encouragement to individuals who have been faced with this pandemic. And because their backs have been up against the wall, a number of them are trying to figure out if they should just go out on their own and of being that small business owner. So I I think you give a sense of hope to people who might want to step out and do that. I think you have provided guidance on some of the things that you should look at. And I'm getting ready to throw this one in. I hope you can come in and teach some of our classes too, just from a leadership perspective, what I call seeing beyond the veil, because you've always had good foresight, you and Jim together, looking beyond what's in front of you to see where you can go. So I want to thank you for sharing your time, your thoughts, and your perspectives on ONLC Training Centers. And once again, congratulations on the rewards. Thanks, Barry. We have been speaking with Andy Williamson, CEO, ONLC Training Centers. This is Marie Gould Harper. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. For more information about our university, visit us at studyatapu.com. APU, American Public University.